Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. For the past two days, I covered a sermon that I taught at Andrew Womack's Bible Conference. Today, I want to start part number one of the second sermon I taught, What Does a Visitor Remember When They Come to Church? The Queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but when she left, she was saved. Jesus told us so. She's a type of a sinner who comes to church to find answers for her needs, but little is recorded about the gospel she heard, but much is recorded about what she saw. Let's go to the Word of God together and find out just what she saw. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. If you and I went out today and I said, I'm going to take you out to, you know, to a hole in the wall, how do you know exactly what I'm talking about when you go to a hole in the wall? The building ain't much, but the food is incredible. There's a line standing outside, and oftentimes our churches look like that, but I've often seen it too that as, the, as that restaurant turns into a nice restaurant in Tulsa where I live, the quality of the food goes down while the building looks better. Don't let your church be that way. And keep the quality of the food up as long as you can, you know, I mean, forever. And then again, have a building that will match the quality of the Word of God. But I want to talk about here is that Jesus was a person of quality. Jesus did everything as far as quality was concerned to the highest degree. You know, when Jesus was going to ride into town, he said, go and find me a, you know, a colt and I'll ride it. And they found one that had never been ridden before. In other words, he got it right off the, the showroom floor. No one had ever ridden it before. Other uh, things he did, whenever he turned water into wine, they commented, this is the best we've ever had. When Jesus made bread for people, it wasn't just some scraps. It was very, probably tasted really great. The fish he had, everything he did, he did with quality. And so when Jesus was going to the cross and everything, he lived a life of quality. And throughout the word of God, we find that when Solomon built a temple, when David did anything, when Moses did anything, they did it with quality. And this is what I want to talk to you about because oftentimes we have the best message in town, but really the quality isn't there as far as when people walk in and that can turn a person off. Every one of you know you got stores you like to shop in, but you not only like to find good deals, you like to find a store that looks like it's a good quality store. And this is what we're going to talk about. Today. I know it doesn't sound really exciting, but wait till we get into it, okay? So um, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12. Here Jesus says, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, this is Sheba. The queen of Sheba will rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. I don't know if you remember the story, the book of Jonah wraps around it. He didn't walk around down the streets preaching theology. He just used one word, repent. And he started shouting, repent, and the people from the king down to the peasants in the street repented at one word. In fact, he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to preach there because he knew something. He knew the power of the gospel, and he didn't want those in Nineveh to be saved. He said that. The closing of the book is he's sitting on a mountain angry at God. 
And God had to take a gourd to teach him a very simple lesson. But the lesson was this that he was learning there was that when you go to preach the gospel, he went there, people will receive. And this is what happened. He went and preached to this city, which was quite a few hundred thousand, perhaps just short of a million people. He went and walked down the street yelling, repent, and everybody repented. And God brought revival to that city. And the judgment God had against that city was put off later to the book of Nahum. But I want you to see the second case he's talking about here. He goes on to say, the queen of the south, which is Sheba, shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus used two figures in the word of God. He first of all used again Jonah and Nineveh, but he also used here the queen of Sheba and talked about there's going to come a day when both of them will be standing on this side. He's talking to the Pharisees who were standing over there and he simply said, there's going to come a day when a dividing line will be drawn and standing over here on this side will be the men and women of Nineveh some hundreds of thousands of them that accepted the Lord at the word repent, but also standing on this side will be one woman. And that's going to be the queen of Sheba because she came to see Solomon and she came to see Solomon. And what we find out here in this verse of scripture is she received the Lord as her savior. Just like we had thousands who were in, again, the city of Nineveh, they received the Lord as savior. This one woman did. How are the thousands one in the case when, again, we have that Jonah went out to preach? Jonah went out to preach as a type of an evangelist going into some parts of the world and hundreds of thousands of people were saved. But we also have a type of one, just one, a woman that came to see Solomon and she represents the second aspect of evangelism, people coming to church. She came in to visit Solomon, just one case. How do you know the Lord loves one that gets saved like he loves hundreds of thousands of people that give their life to Jesus Christ? Angels don't report, don't rejoice because we finally reached 100,000 getting saved. They rejoice over every sinner that receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus here is talking about, I love what Jesus did. Jesus must have had a great sense of humor. Both of them he mentioned here in this verse of scripture were Gentiles, the thousands from Nineveh and the woman here, the queen of Sheba. And he's pre t preaching at this time and talking to Jews. He, he delighted in doing this. He kind of liked to rub it in. I think Luke is another one that I really like in his epistle. And that was, he was writing and he talked about, it seemed like every time a Gentile was involved, he'd make a point to that fact they were Gentile. Nine lepers came to get healed or 10 lepers came to get healed. They all walked away. Nine of them were Jews, but the one that came back was a Gentile. He had to put that in there just to rub it in and let them know it was a Gentile that came back. We find this again throughout other writings that we have of the New Testament that Jesus did this from time to time. And I like the time when Jesus walked into his own hometown for the first time and, and preached to his own hometown. And he started preaching about the fact that they got angry at him. You know, when he, they begin to understand, when he came to Isaiah and started preaching and said, this is me, I'm the one they're talking about, and I'm the one that Isaiah was speaking of, they all got angry at him. Said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the kid we grew up around? And Jesus said, in the days of Elijah or Elisha, there were many, uh, there were many widows in Israel at that time, but to none of them was he sent. He was sent over to Sarepta 
really irritated them to hear that in that day there were many widows. He said there were many lepers in the days of Elijah. And he said, but unto none of them did he go. But he went over and a man was healed in this other country. And he said, and he was also a Gentile. Jesus loved that. He said, it's going to come to pass in the last days that when Jesus, go, and we meet with Jesus, he said, many shall come from the east and west, a reference to Gentiles, and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, don't you know that just irritated them? The fathers of the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion, and to say they're going to sit down with Gentiles? He did this all the time. But it's interesting, he did it again here in this case because the hundreds of thousands that gave their life to Jesus Christ, including the Queen of Sheba, were all Gentiles. And yet they're saved the same way we are. To be honest with you, the bulk of people are always going to be saved out there in the world. But we can't stop the fact that we're going to get people saved in church. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 points out the fact that one of the great uses of the gifts of the Spirit is to arrest the attention of the sinner that comes to church. Jesus told us to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come to our house so that, you know, our house will be full. And he's referencing there, if you go to the highways and hedges and bring them in, this is unbelievers. And part of our responsibility is not only to go into the world and preach the gospel, but also to bring sinners into church so they can receive Jesus in church. But understand also the bulk of people that get saved is always going to be in the world. I mean, in comparison, we couldn't even compare how many people are going to get saved in the world compared to how many get saved in church because the principal thing of the church is not getting people saved. It's making uh, believers into disciples. That's the purpose of the church. We're not only going to all the world and preach the gospel, we're also to make believers and turn them into disciples for the Lord. That's the two parts of the gospel. And here we have it in this story where Jesus brought it out, how that one man went out and won hundreds of thousands to the Lord, but another story also of a woman that came and visited Solomon and came in as a sinner, but she left as a believer. And Jesus said, in that day, on this side will be standing with me hundreds of thousands from the city of Nineveh, but also one woman will be standing with me here because she went to hear the wisdom of Solomon and what we're going to find out is she gave her life to the Lord in that case. I think about that verse of scripture of going out of the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And uh, in our church, we had a man and a woman come to get saved and uh, they made each other in a bar and he was a pool hustler in Dallas. And uh, he got beat up many times with pool cues because he would present himself as somebody who didn't know much about pool then sweep the table and take all the money. So these guys would just beat him up with pool cues and twice he ended up in the hospital because they so beat him up, but he just kept on doing it. But he had a couple of friends in Tulsa. They finally moved to Tulsa and they had a couple of friends in Tulsa that came to our church and kept trying to get them to come to church and they wouldn't come to church. So finally one Sunday morning after talking to them for so long, they, this couple finally came to their house, took their two daughters, said, we're taking your girls to church. If you want to get them, come to church and get them. And so, you know, this young man said, Wilson, I know what you're doing. We're, we're going to come get the kids, but don't you dare invite us to that church again. We'll come this one time. Well, they came that week, sat as far back in the church as possible. In fact, we had a very small balcony. They sat up in the back in the balcony as far away from me as possible. And they sat there and, you know, praise and worship. They said they'd never seen such wild praise and worship going on in the church. 
And then, of course, then came the sermon. But by the end of the sermon, as they were bowing their heads, and I had everybody bow their heads to, re- to come and want to receive Jesus. As she bowed her head, she said, I just knew he wasn't there. I looked over, and sure enough, he was gone. She said, her first thought was, he's in the parking lot smoking. He can't wait till church is over to smoke a cigarette. And she looked up, and he was running down the aisle to receive Jesus. So she jumped up and ran with him also down there. She received Jesus. He ended up being the, uh, the uh, main owner and, and operator of the Christian radio station in Tulsa. Then he came on staff at the church as our counselor. Then he came on church uh, staff as my associate pastor. And we used to have tremendous history together, but he always blames that one thing on, they compelled me to come to church. I mean, they just didn't compel, they compelled them to come to church. And that's what the word means. Go look it up sometime. It's almost a twisting of arms to get people to come to church but they'll be glad they did come to church when they come. So they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But in this particular case also, we have what happened when the Queen of Sheba came. It says in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses one through, or yeah, verses one through eight, it says in verse one, when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The actual Hebrew says they were trick questions, they were riddles. She came with questions that had, you know, this hard to answer these things because she really wanted to test him, but she'd heard so much about him. So she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen, I want you to notice this, when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon. Folks, wisdom isn't seen, wisdom is heard. What did she see? Something she saw grabbed her attention. And when she saw all the wisdom of Solomon, it says that the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his steps by which he went into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, she was breathless. She was exhausted. By that time, she probably took all the rest of her questions and tore it up. There was no more spirit left in her. When she saw what the house of the Lord looked like, when she heard the explanation for everything, stop and think about this, pastors, ministers, you who have churches. If somebody walked into your church, would they be breathless by what they saw? breathless by what they heard. She was, and listen, it would take a lot to impress a queen, the queen of a country. She came and saw these things in church. It goes on to say that there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and about your wisdom. However, I did not believe it until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of what I've heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who stand continually before you and that hear your wisdom. The queen came with an agenda. She had been to other kingdoms and had been underwhelmed. 
She had heard such great things about it. And by the time she got there and walked into the place, she said, this isn't at all what I heard. She saw things she didn't appreciate. And now she's heard about Solomon and she's going to go visit Solomon, but she's going skeptical. She's seen so many bad things. Listen, when people come to your church, you may not be the first church they've gone to, but they don't like what they've seen in other churches and they don't come with great expectation with you. What they need to see is something of quality when they come in. Not what they've seen before. And the quality shouldn't be just in the building and all they see, but it should also be in the Word of God. In other words, do you take your job seriously? Is it a place of perfection? Is it a place of glory? Is it a place where you want that when a person leaves, that they the half was not told me of the power and glory of God? I look back through the years, and of course, we were during the charismatic movement. And such great things happened in church. But I can tell you this, I did my best to keep that church as good looking as possible on the budget that we had. The budget kept growing, so the building kept looking better. But in every case, we take money and have it set aside to keep that church looking great. Here it is, is what happened to her. She'd heard of Solomon's wisdom, but was skeptical. She traveled, visited kings in other nations. And again, like I said, she, they were, she was underwhelmed. She had no great expectation of Solomon and gave him complicated questions. I remember years ago when I was at Brother Hagen, you might remember Roy Hicks. Okay, Roy Hicks was the head of the four square denomination. And he would come every year and talk at the school. And, and uh, again, a great man of God, a great man of great wisdom. But I remember he talked about the fact that they often would ask Jesus trick questions. And they would ask questions that would trip him up. They already had these planned answers. And Jesus would somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, go completely around them, answer the question, and leave them speechless. And this is what happened with her. She came with trick questions, probably came from CNN. But she came with trick questions... <laughs> trying her best to trip up the king and couldn't do it. I remember Roy Hicks told this story. He said, you remember that story where they came to Jesus and said a, a, a woman had a husband and he died? And so by law, she was supposed to marry her, his, his, his brother. So she married his brother and then he dies. So she marries the next brother and he dies. By the end of it, she's had five of the brothers. Now she goes to heaven. Whose wife will she be? He said, can you imagine Jesus thinking, Who'd want her? <laughs> he said, could you imagine trying to think of an answer for that? And on top of it, he said, the Holy Spirit gave it to him. But this is the type of questions she brought him. And in those questions that she brought him, everything had a trick to it. She was trying to trip him up, but she couldn't do it. And after a number of things, she probably just threw away her paper and said, listen, I don't have any more spirit left in me. I don't have any more questions to ask you. Everything else looks so stupid compared to what I've asked you so far. So I'm just going to leave it as it is. And this woman literally, because of that, accepted the Lord. He answered every question. He diffused her agenda and her drive and her expectations were surpassed. And he answered everything twice as good as she had ever heard before. What did the queen see before again, seeing Solomon's wisdom? She came. The queen saw what every visitor sees when they enter the worship service. She came in through the door and she came, but the, the, the layout of this of how she saw it was everything that basically a visitor sees when they come to your church. What she saw started at the front door and she slowly worked her, her way to the place where worship occurred. And so what is seen often makes an impact and, ca and causes literally early conclusions. 
Whenever people come to your church, what do they see? I know we're supposed to be able to teach the best word in town, and I, and I plan on that whenever I preach. I know you'd probably do the same thing. You plan on doing the finest thing, but what do people see when they come through the door? How many of you can often vouch for it? We're in our church so long, we overlook things that people see when they first come into church. Think about this. When a person comes to your church, let's just say a Christian comes to your church that's been coming to your church for so long. Did you know for the average church attender, service doesn't start until praise and worship? But for the person that walks in the door, a person that's never been there before, church starts in the parking lot. They see your building, they see your parking lot. They finally walk through the front door, they see the cleanliness of everything. I mean, I got the point after, after reading this story one day and all the things that she saw, I wanted the windows to be cleaned. I wanted everything, things we would go through. I actually told this, I want you as a church attender to walk in the door as a visitor and start from the front door. And whatever you see and whatever you think can be picked up, whatever you think can be, is there paper in the parking lot? How often do we think, oh, there's paper in the parking lot. Somebody needs to clean that up. Maybe it's you. There was a time when at our church, we had so many people attending. Are you being blessed today? You're awfully quiet. I know this is pretty average, but listen to me. I think churches, especially that believe in the grace message and the faith message, ought to have the finest buildings in town. And I believe when a person walks through the door, they ought to be overwhelmed at just the building and how beautiful everything really is. So anyway, we, our church got so large, we were only about 3,000 people at one time. And we had three services on Sunday morning because our auditorium would seat about 1,200. And so with those three services, people didn't know how large the church was. They saw the one service they came to. And so one Easter I called and we rented the baby center at ORU. And so we had everybody together there and had a great time with the service going. And all of that, and the people actually had, you know, they actually, you know, could actually see how large we were. But as all the people were there, they were just getting, and we, the service was over. In fact, in that one service, Oral Roberts came and was sitting way up at the top of the balcony. But anyway, on that particular Sunday, when everybody was there, I just simply asked everybody, I said, before you leave, I want you to look around and see if there's any papers around because there were 3,000 of us. And I said, I want you to pick up those papers before you go out. The staff at ORU called me that week and said, we've never had a church do that before. We've never had anybody do that before. We have a crew that comes in. It takes us hours to pick up all the paper. They said, thank you. Did you realize something? It's a whole lot quicker for 3,000 people to pick up one piece of paper than for one person to pick up 3,000 pieces of paper. And again, it's just the cleanliness of what happens, but how simple it is when we come to church and you tell your people when they come to church, treat that church like it is the house of God because it is the house of God. All right. So the queen of Sheba came and here's the thing she saw. First of all, she saw his house and saw the prosperity of it. What quality do people see when they enter your property? You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Is the property clean? Is there trash in the parking lot? Is the grass been mowed? Is your front door glass clean or your windows clean? I never stopped to think about this. And one day I was walking through, just look at our front glass and there was handprints all over it. I just had not stopped to think about it and someone else had forgotten it along the way. So I had them start doing that. I said, I don't want church to open up without the glass being clean in front. You come in, do people see clean carpets when they come in? How do you know when you walk into here, you don't have to worry about is there clean carpets? Somebody's taking care of it. I mean, the comment was made this morning. Was it this morning? One of the girls talked about, you know, that we have clean restrooms here. Maybe that was yesterday. She mentioned that. 
But I can tell you this, there's a, there's a company in Tulsa called Quick Trip. You might have it in wherever you live. Quick Trip started in Tulsa. And just about two years ago, they went on a campaign to advertise they had the cleanest restrooms in town. And they said at this place, you know, at Quick Trip, when you come there, it's where you get gasoline and it's just a small mini mart. But anyway, when you come in there, what they said was, we clean the restroom every hour and we deep clean it every half hour. You know what picked up all of a sudden? Women. More women started coming to that place. And women love clean restrooms. And all the women said, yeah. amen. Clean carpets, clean restrooms, greeters and ushers to answer questions, plenty of signs to help people find restrooms, classes, children's church. Is there trash on the floor? Is, again, your church a place that looks inviting when people come in or are the people sincere? When people walk through the door, we had a woman at our church, wonderful woman, and uh, she's one of the best greeters I had ever seen. I came to the door just to see what was going on. We had, uh, we had greeters there, men and women there with the front door. But when you walked in the front door with that woman, I mean, she took her job seriously. And she looked you right in the face when you walked in and what she would say is, you're not here by accident today. You're here by divine design. God brought you here. Get your expectancy up because you're going to walk away from here today with questions answered in your life. And you can see the countenance change on the person's face as she told them that how that she brought them again into that. And she treated every person walking in as if she had a mandate from God to welcome them into the family of God. And I'm going to wait till I get to heaven, but I'll have to wait till then to find out how many of those people actually gave their lives to Jesus Christ, rededicated their lives to the Lord, all because of that woman that met them at the front door. Because when the person walks through the door, often that's the first place where church starts. Parking lot, the greeting at the front door. We often have everything planned for the service, but as far as a sinner's concerned, or a person visiting your church, the service started when they entered the parking lot and when they came into the church. The next thing she noticed was their food. Thanks for joining me today as we've learned together how the Queen of Sheba saw things that changed her life and brought her to eternal life. Maybe this will help open up your eyes with your own local church of what people see when they come to church long before they hear the sermon. Long before they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, impressions are made and how important it is we understand that. I wanna thank also all of my partners that stand with me and have stood with me for so many years. The number of partners is increasing rapidly. The amount of increase that's coming in from them, financial increase is also wonderful and just freeing us up in so many different areas to do what God has called us to do. Thank you. If you'd like to become a partner too, you can go to my website, bobyandian.com, and you'll find there a place where you can become a partner with me and find out just what a blessing it is to join your heart and join your finances and join your prayer together with a minister. You share not only in the sharing of the gospel, you'll share with me also in the receiving of rewards when we get to heaven. I wanna thank you again for being with us today. And again, if you're looking for a Bible college to go to, I taught this particular lesson at the minister's conference held at the Karis campus. And if you're looking for a great Bible school, I highly recommend Karis getting involved there, spending the two to three years involved in going there. And also while you're there, finding a local church, getting involved there too, because those two put together the theory and then the church is your lab class where you learn from older people around you is tremendous what a blessing it is. So again, I highly recommend the school, highly recommend it for you to get involved in. The ministry of God is so important and the book on God's Word to Pastors. See you next time.
This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Indian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the First Pastors Conference in Acts 20, Passion versus Calling, Daily Schedules, Living a Balanced Life, Wolves After Your Sheep, The Glorious Church, Pastors Need Pastors, Whose Flock Do You Pastor, Spiritual Workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.